And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald coming right back at you here. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man among men when it comes to Rob McCallum Films. You got to check out everything that's going on today at robmccallumfilms.com. Also as well, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, Rob McCallum Films on YouTube, and also as well, Rob McSob on Twitter. It's my good friend. It is Rob McCallum. So pray tell, Rob, what's in your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, today's episode is going to be a little bit like the lightning round, but I did want to start things off by kind of offering an open invitation for any people that are interested in research, any filmmakers out there, any investigative journalists that have a topic in mind that they're just dying to kind of see get made into a documentary, maybe a 20-minute short, a half-hour short. I want to talk to people that have a burning desire to tell a story from a certain point of view that, if possible, ties to the world of pop culture or, or could be universally driven. If you've got an idea, me and my team, Rob McCallum Films, Pyre Productions, Creative Dynamic, we want to talk to you guys and basically help be a part of that process. We've got a lot of films and series out there. We've got a lot of the, the award hardware on our on ourselves, and we kind of want to do more and be involved in more. And we've started to shepherd a lot of other filmmakers and consult and, and work with them on their projects to get them to the next level, to make things happen a little bit faster for them and for us. So if you've got a great idea, reach out to us through social media, through Pop Culture Cosmos. Listen at the end of the show. You'll get all the hits and where you can send all your inquiries to, and we can just start talking back and forth. And maybe you've got a great idea and you've got a, a bit of skill and talent, and we can, we can come in with a little bit of finances, we can come in with a lot of help and a ton of experience to make your idea uh, the next great reality. So hopefully we can talk about that as it evolves over the next few weeks and, and shows, but this is the kind of platform that we're, we're gonna start to introduce and work with, and we've already got one filmmaker that we're working with who's got a really exciting idea, and he checks all the boxes, and for fans of people that like Nintendo Quest, this will be something a little bit in your wheelhouse, same with box art. So. It is somewhat in the video game sphere. Well, it is in the video game sphere if we can make everything work. So right now we're excited by that one. That's funny because you're like, well, if it's kind of, well, you know, if it's Nintendo Quest and box art, there's really not much stuff as far as that's concerned. Yes, Gerald. Yes. 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 Coffee. 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 Get it in me. Well, let's talk about Mission Impossible. We're on the precipice of another big Mission Impossible movie come out. And once again, headlines are talking about the massive stunt that's going on in this film. And this is a, I think, 25,000 foot halo jump that Tom Cruise does in this film. Now, this is on the on the heels of massive stunts that he's done before, where I think in MI2, he did that freeform rock climbing, the John Woo film. I think it was ghost protocol that he was outside of a building climbing up and down it you know bond has had its fair share of stunts too i think the the one that springs to my mind is the opening of golden eye the bungee jump off that one dam which seemed crazy are these stunts staples of these big action films or are they icing on the cake they are part of it in fact what are know, they staples do they drive it because i mean they're always headline worthy but is it necessary Look at the poster for the previous iteration in the Mission Impossible series. What is Tom Cruise doing? He's hanging outside of the plane. I mean, it's come to that point where the big stunts are part of the series. And I'll tell you what, I've just 
in efforts to catch myself up again with everything that's going on in the Mission Impossible universe. In fact, I'd like to, you know, at some point in time, run down first or worst exactly what's going on. As soon as I finish watching Mission Impossible Fallout, I'm just excited for it, my friend. It looks like a great trailer. The action's there. The, you know, there's obviously a lot of storylines that, well, may hit or not hit depending on, on what's going on because that's been a problem with the movies in the past is that not all the storylines have clicked or we're used to seeing this person turn this person good this person turn bad this, you know nothing is as as they seem so the thing that we can count upon is fast action i gotta stop you right there because you're picking on story and i think out of out of many action franchises mission impossible is far above the lines i think maybe the second one is is the weakest in the entry and i'd love to go back and forth with you because apple just had all five films that are already out in 4k for 30 bucks i picked it up i'm going to go through them i won't be able to watch fallout until it hits digital in about three months but that would be fun to kind of maybe go back and forth on, on this stuff. I would, I would, because I have a list, uh, you know, that, that I'm formulating here. But it is part of the stable where the big stunts, Tom Cruise running, and uh, Tom Cruise running. Next, you're going to say Tom Cruise running, Tom Cruise shirtless, and the big stunts. No, well, I don't know about shirtless, but I know he runs a lot in these Mission Impossible films. You got to admit that, my friend. <laughs> he runs a lot. I love that that's a staple for you. You know, the one film that doesn't have big stunts in it, and I mean, I guess you could say the first one has a little bit of stunt work with all the wire hanging and stuff, but MI3, the Abrams directed one, the one that really rebooted the franchise after I think there was a six or seven year gap between number two and yeah. number three, that is by far my favorite, and it is the most self-contained smaller film because it's also character driven and the stakes are high and there's much more of a of a mystery and intrigue to it but there are no sons and i think it it beats anything else we've seen so far you're not gonna like me then and wow. this, and then also you got to remember that's the one that's done the least worldwide mission impossible 2 is actually one of the most successful so well, because I, I, it was I, the I, second one uh, after the massive hit when it first came out so Mission Impossible 2 is going to do huge. It brought John Woo into the into the foreground. But Mission Impossible 3 put the franchise ahead of the directors. From that point on, it wasn't about the directors who were making the films. It was about the franchise. Well, I didn't you know what I mean? It wasn't an auteur showcase anymore with the Palma doing the first one, John Woo doing the second one. When Abrams took over, it became much more of a television machine to kind of showcase story and character first instead of directors. Even though Brad Bird had one in there, like he's a great director, but he's not known for live action by any means. So it wasn't about him. That was him. his that, first outing. Uh, that was yeah. his first outing. And how did Tomorrowland do his second one? Not yeah. so well. And not so yeah. well, not so well. But it doesn't matter because it's a Mission Impossible film. It's not a Brad Bird film. You know? Yeah. Chris McQuarrie, you know, again, a great writer, competent director, but I don't see him taking on anything that isn't Tom Cruise related or anything completely original either he's a good series serviceman but with mission impossible 2 it's just ridiculous fun man it's just over the top fun no that's what kills me about it that's it's not fun it's so cheesy well it's like it's the roger moore entry of the mission impossibles but i think there's a lot of issues with it i agree with you but i I won't want to go ahead on it now until you've actually seen your list and you're able to formulate it and then we'll go from there you can pick on me from there so okay. as you only admittedly I've only seen Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation once each but I didn't feel the need to go back and see the Mission Impossible 3 I've seen 
probably a dozen times. And Mission Impossible 1, easily in the 20s. And what makes those two films really stand out, in my opinion, is the cast that they've assembled. Mission Impossible 3, Philip Seymour Hoffman is, is the antagonist in the foil. He is so good in that film. It's it's not even fair to watch it again and, and remember that we have, no longer have him as an acting talent. Uh, that I agree with you on. That I agree with you on. Well, thank you. For once. but You agree every now and then, whether it's reluctant or not. It's usually reluctant, but go ahead anyways. Comic-Con seems like it was a long time ago, but it really wasn't. We got to see trailers for Shazam and Aquaman. Now, are we finally excited for anything in the DCU? Or is this just a lot of hype for films that may not pan out as well? I really liked Aquaman. I'm going to tell you right now. I I said it with Josh, and I'll say it with you, my friend. I really liked what Aquaman is going to bring to the table. It looked like an adventure that is worth taking, that's worth watching. Yes, the CG was just overflowing throughout the, the entire trailer, but I enjoyed it. Uh, and I, I really have uh, a lot of interest in seeing what Jason Momoa's character, yes, it is the dude bro. Hey, you know, it's like he's just come off the, the beach with a surfboard in hand and whatnot, but it looks like a, a, an adventure worth following. Shazam, uh, not so much. Really? Yeah. Because I thought there was a nice charm about Shazam that a lot of films don't get. It's really hit or miss. And maybe the trailer had more of the hits that we might see in, in the film than the misses. And of course, you're not going to showcase the misses. And that character is a really strange character. So it's a, it's an interesting one that they're they're going back to. Of course, the name for him isn't always Shazam. It's also Captain Marvel. So that's a, an interesting conundrum that DC will have to reconcile at some point to see if it actually comes up but i i it's a strange choice to go for a film for the dcu which is on shaky ground to begin with and of course there's the one shot of the battering or whatever that's in there as well so they're tying it to everything else that's happened but i feel like they're taking bigger swings with shazam than they are for aquaman aquaman looks like super serious and, and maybe a little dark and you know very epic and grand scale Hopefully they can hit all the right beats. They've got a great director in place with James Wan for that. I'm not a huge fan of Zachary Levy for for Shazam. I'm not a huge fan of Chuck. So to see him in a superhero role, I don't know. I just didn't really buy it. But I think I can appreciate the risks that Shazam is going for ahead of the can Aquaman hit the expectations and and paint-by-numbers scheme that they're setting up. Because if they don't hit that mark, it's going to be a failure. With Shazam, I feel like there's way more leeway. And if they nail some of those risks that they're taking, it's going to be much more satisfying than an underwhelming battle for the throne underwater. But that I agree with you on because of the fact that... That's two, folks. Who's keeping count at home? For everybody playing at home, that's two. It is a big risk for DC to even venture out with the Shazam character, especially after all the failures that they've done so far. But... Like I said, I'm not exactly enthralled by it yet, but that doesn't mean I won't be. That doesn't mean it won't come off as a really funny, really light, really great adventure. At this point in time, I don't see it materializing as such because, like you said, a lot of the buy-in is Zachary Levi. And unfortunately, at this point in time, I don't have the buy-in as of yet, but that could change. That could change. I'm not exactly uh, 100% against it. Like, uh, let's say Venom right now because Venom just really just does not look good at all right now. And there's, there's some other trailers out there that are making the films less appealing, but uh, won't go into it here. But Shazam is something that could sway me 
back over to it with another good outing with another good trailer before it comes out i guess like you said zachary levi itself he's gonna sell it and so far he hasn't it'll be interesting too when we get the first look at the green lantern corpse trailer which is supposed to be like a buddy cop film between hal jordan and rookie on the street john stewart i'm not typically a fan of that kind of genre but if they go cosmic and interesting in the case at hand has the power of a mission impossible with a little bit of that John Constantine dark flavor that the DC universe can draw upon. And Hey, there's a ton of green lantern material that is really quality courtesy of Jeff Johns who stepped down and is doing his own thing. And a part of green lantern Corps, of course, then it could be really good. But initially when they announced that it was a buddy cop film, just not super excited about that. Well, this leads me into asking you this question when it comes to the overall DCEU, how many more mistakes or how many missteps do you think Warner Brothers is going to handle? Because they can only write so many blank checks for this franchise. And, it, you know, even if Wonder Woman 2 hits again, you still got to have at least another two or three that actually meet expectations before you want to continue this whole thing going forward. Ultimately, I mean, they can continue doing it because they've merged with AT&T and have more money than exists on the planet yet. So as long as they want content, they can continue doing this. And even if they lose at the box office, their own streaming app and, and HBO can have the rights to these films. And they're doing well on digital and Blu-ray because people are curious enough to keep looking at them. Unless you're putting out a piece of crap like the first Green Lantern film, like even Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, and Justice League, they did considerable money, even for what they cost. They were profitable films. So if they're profitable, they will continue to make them and they've got the coffers to keep doing this stuff. Ultimately, if they push the pause button on building this extended universe, they can continue just doing a bunch of solo outings like Marvel did where they're not tied in anything. And then if they feel like they have something, they can choose to rope the characters in and the films that work together in whatever way. Shazam didn't have to have that battering. It could have been a standalone adventure. And if it did well, have Shazam in the next Batman film or whatever the film is. And because it's been established, it's fine. Not everybody introduced has to be in the big kind of build-up thing. So that's one strategy. The other strategy is if you're going to push pause, then you go back to focusing on the big three. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. And you can rework Superman and Batman as many times as you want. The audience will always be hungry for those two characters. I agree with you on that. And let me ask you this. I know we've touched on it in a roundabout way, but like I said, I kind of like that dynamic between the Batfleck and Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, uh, Ben Affleck, I should say, instead of just the Batfleck. But your thoughts on Ben Affleck as the Batman, if we were to be given a solid script, a decent plot, do you still think he should be going forward someone that is maybe of interest when it comes to the Batman character? Because I have, I don't think he's the best Batman, but I certainly don't think he's the worst. I think he's a really great Bruce Wayne. You know, and I think Batman and Bruce Wayne are, are two different characters. I, so that, I, that I agree with you on. The Bruce, if if, yeah. if people have an issue with him being Batman, one thing that DC might want to explore is the Batman Beyond scenario where Bruce Wayne can no longer go on because of an injury, because of age. And at that point, he mentors somebody as the new Batman. So on Batman Beyond, Bruce Wayne is still kind of in charge and Terry takes up the mantle and puts on the cape and cowl and becomes the new Batman for, for Gotham. Could we not see that same role? It might kind of minimize the role of Alfred, who's that kind of voice of reason in, in that 
kind of scenario going forward, but you could still have Ben Affleck in the mix as that kind of overseer who's no longer in the field of duty, but still as, as a presence. I, I think he's fine. I didn't have any major issues with him. I didn't have any major praise for him, but I didn't have any issues for him either. Yeah, same here, same here. It's just not like he's done a terrible job because I don't think he's the reason why. I would have really liked to see him have that whole script to himself where he could have wrote, directed, and starred in because when when he has that freedom, we've seen with films like The Town and with Argo, he can really nail it. But it's got to be like his telling. It's got to be you know his deal. And when you start minimalizing that because you're worried about box office returns, you're not going to get what you want. Yeah, I, I agree with you at that point. That's three for three, man. Three for three. It's it's an it's an odd day in the pop culture cosmos. Whatever corner of the galaxy you're in, strange things are afoot. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos Show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. Castle Rock is now streaming for free on Hulu, at least the very first premiere episode. And I was actually able to check it out in Canada because my Apple TV account is an American one. I can't watch any Hulu because it won't stream outside the continental US. But I was able to check out episode one of the much anticipated Stephen King, J.J. Abrams anthology series. And I was kind of shocked to discover that it's not an anthology where every episode is standalone. It's actually an ongoing story. So maybe every season will be standalone as they go forward, or maybe just arcs will be two or three episodes. I'm not sure. I did get to check out episode one. Did you get a chance to view it? And uh, what were your thoughts if you did? I did. It moved a little slow for me as far as the pacing is concerned, but dealing in and around everything with the Shawshank Redemption, because I have such fond memories of that movie. I was hoping for a little bit more inferences from all different aspects of the actual world of Stephen King, because you see so much of it in that opening sequence, as far as the title sequence is concerned, you see so much of it being involved in there. Just, you know, people are just going over that just for nooks and crannies and, and secret things that are in there that are hidden in that title sequence alone. So I was hoping for more of that, maybe one character or a couple characters or, or even some inferences, even more into this story that's right now centered mostly around what is known as Shawshank Prison. Yeah, so for everybody out there who hasn't taken a look at it, the first story seems to revolve around present-day Shawshank, which is really interesting since Shawshank Redemption took place decades and decades ago. I like that they're not doing a lot of fan service with these Easter eggs and callbacks because it lets what's happening now be its own thing without having the crutch to rely on those winks to fans to get them excited about what's going on. 
I thought the reveal that everything was with Shawshank with the car, the side of the car's decal, I thought that was really cool. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And, to, and then to think about, okay, what has happened at Shawshank for the years that have happened since we saw Andy Dufresne make his escape in the Shawshank Redemption, I thought it was great. I think the pacing is actually pretty typical of Stephen King. It felt very much like his novels. It's drawn out. There's a lot of character work. There's details. There's a lot of questions that have already been posed and a lot of kind of mysteries and the threads are starting to go really wide and at some point they're going to start converging back. I won't be able to watch them because I live in Canada, of course, unless they offer it up as a season pass on iTunes, which I don't think they will until the end of the, the end of the first season. So, so be it. I thought it was good. You know, my uh, my wife and I had a chance to watch it. She thought it was cool. And we were both equally bummed when episodes two and three, which seem available, were not uh, available to us to watch. So, I think it's an interesting thing. I think the only reason I'm watching it is because of the Stephen King, J.J. Abrams, and all the, the pre-build up. I'm not upset that I won't be able to watch two and three and have to resort to illegal piracy or anything like that to get that fixed. There's enough to watch. But I do think it's worth checking out to see where it goes. I agree with you at that part. It's four for four. That there is still more within Bing! this universe that I think that maybe I, I will, will get, continue to give it a chance. Hopefully it'll ramp up there. And knowing Stephen King, his books and everything as far as that he's created, it does ramp up from there. So I'm, I'm probably will continue to give it a chance overall. But one last thing I want to ask you on this, because like you said, it's, it's Stephen King with J.J. Abrams overseeing it. J.J. Abrams is a name that you see quite a bit when it comes to executive producing and that his name is very much out there right now on a lot of different platforms and a lot of different projects that are out there. Your thoughts on someone getting to the point, let's say like you, let's say you hit a big with you know, whatever it is that you're going to be doing up in, in as far as the movies that you're going to be able to create down the road and gets to the point where you get the offers coming in to go ahead and add your name into the executive producer mix on a lot of different projects. Do you think it dilutes your name when you're just going ahead and throwing out it? Because as you see, when he's attached to one of these projects, that's the first thing that they blurt out when it comes to whatever it is that they're trying to introduce. Well, they've got to blurt it out, right? Because there's not only is it costing you money to have somebody like that involved, it's something that's very marketable. And because it is out there, if you like his films, if you like his TV stuff, then you might be inclined to like this. So it's just smart marketing. I'm not sure that it dilutes it. I mean, I you would you could put Spielberg in the same category. He's you know attached to all the Transformer films as an oh, executive yeah. producer. Every Jurassic Park or Jurassic World movie, he's attached as an executive producer. His role is kind of always up in the air, depending on what it is. Now Spielberg's a very hands-on kind of guy. He likes to really get down in the dirty in the trenches. If if the teams allow him to come in, and why wouldn't you? I don't. I don't think it dilutes it. I just think it's. It's you know these people are busy, and I get that. And I would love to be in a scenario where, like I said at the top of the show, where I can work with a bunch of different people, get their projects out there, like this other kind of video game project I'm working on. You don't think in the marketing we're going to say from the director of Nintendo Quest comes this other video game thing? Of course we are. We have to. We absolutely have to. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be on the same quality as Nintendo Quest or the same idea. It could be better. And hopefully it is. Hopefully everything I keep doing is better than the last thing I do. It is who I am. I don't think Abrams is ever going to sign on just to get a paycheck because he's going to have to be involved. I'm not saying that is the case, but I don't know why you would when your name is always on the line. Like Steven Spielberg, J.J. Abrams, is his name is all over the place when it comes to executive producing projects. And it gets to the point where you got to ask yourself, 
Is he actually able to have the time to go ahead and be a part of these projects? Or is he just doing it to sign his name off so that you can get extra pub and extra notice from the individual fans out there? Well, he was reluctant to take on episode seven and episode nine because of the number of commitments that he had. And I know he dialed back his work that he was doing as an executive producer on Cloverfield Paradox, the Netflix kind of straight to Netflix thing that came up as a result of having to jump on script duties and stuff for the Star Wars stuff, as well as the Trek universe. You know, he's really dialed back a bunch of other things in order to favor some other opportunities that have come his way. So I think what he's learned is you've always got to keep a little extra wiggle room and keep the door open. And he's a guy that really holds family time as a priority. When uh, the weekend hits, his phones go off. He doesn't pick up the phone from Friday at 5 p.m. until, you know, Monday at 10 a.m. So I got to respect a guy who can who can shut off that easily and just kind of get back to it when necessary. So I, I think he knows what he's doing, and I, I think he is involved in all these things. And uh, good for him that to have the opportunity to do so. Fair enough, fair enough. You would know more than I on that subject, so fair enough indeed. Well, we'll agree on that. Five for five. Ting. <laughs> Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. The Deadwood movie is officially greenlit, Gerald, after years and years, and I think we've even talked about it once or twice on the Cosmic Crossfire and the PCC. It is officially greenlit. In the interviews, as a result of the press going around about it, it's interesting because why season four never happened. They finished after three seasons with, you know, somewhat of a lackluster finale, even though the showrunner said, you know, when he wrote that last episode of season three, he knew that that was going to be the series finale because season four discussions were up in the air. And I thought it was really interesting that season four never happened because the showrunner did not want to do an episode cut. So they offered him to do season four, but with a reduced episode count. And he said, no. What do you think about that? That decision to go from, I think it was 10 episodes per season. And I think he said they, they wanted him to do six. That's a nice luxury to have is when you can go ahead and say to an HBO, you know, sorry, I, this is the way my I'm going to tell my story. And if you want it differently, then I don't do it. So uh, it must be nice to have that kind of luxury because a lot of people in Hollywood would have taken the money. But at this point, he's doing a movie. So it's a two-hour movie and not, and still not the 10 episodes that he wanted to do for season four. So but, who's really won here? But he's still done it because I think there's enough of a, uh, I guess enough of a, you know, a fan interest. Uh, I know the stars have talked about it periodically over the years. And I guess there's an, still enough an interest for Deadwood to actually bring this movie to life, even though it could have just, died and and the thing is at least it's going to be on hbo where they can promote it right and that and there's there's a specific type of viewer that might still be interested in if it came to the big screen i really think it wouldn't be all that very successful well that's what it's doing it's going to the big screen it's gonna be a theatrical release for the oh, film, okay. that was going to be it, HBO, HBO, and it's HBO. and it's a two-hour movie. Maybe I don't. I can't imagine it being much more, given that it's a theatrical release. And it's essentially like two episodes of a season. So he went from possibly six to two. Now that said, Game of Thrones is ending. Westworld season two, from what I read, isn't doing that well compared to season one. 
this film could be a nice backdoor pilot to actually commissioning season four of Deadwood. If we can get the fan interest, if the numbers are there, can we actually get enough acclaim and interest to greenlight Deadwood coming back, like we've seen so many other sitcoms from the past actually come back? Can Deadwood come back and be another premiere show for HBO for maybe one, two seasons at the 10-episode run? Can this movie jumpstart it? And I think that's what's going on because it doesn't make sense any other way in my head to turn down, to want a 10-episode run, to turn down a six, wait 10 years or whatever it is to do a two-hour movie. You know what? It probably is the HBO's way of feeling this out, but I thought it was just going to... That's another one we agree on. But I thought it was just going to HBO, but you're right. If it's going to the big screen, then, then that's the ultimate test to see if it's actually still interesting in it. You mentioned the other things as far as Westworld comes to mind. It's so funny because it's so polarizing and dynamic, even more so than season one, which is actually very polarizing in and of itself. But look at all the Emmys it garnered. It garnered over 20 Emmy nominations by itself, which is kind of funny because the fact that one certain group, in this case, the voters for the for Emmy, just really really are interested in it and like what they're doing but yet the fan interest is just all over the place on where the series is going because it does so many things to just like get the emotions out of you whether it's good or bad from watching the second season well again no hbo go in canada i haven't been able to catch up on it i did like season one i thought the last couple episodes were starting to drag on and not ask big enough interesting enough questions and everything I've read about season two for Westworld is a very, like you say, polarizing and up and down. It's going to garner those Emmy nominations for a bunch of reasons, whether you like the content or not, because the technical prowess that they're producing the show at deserves to be recognized in the awards plateau. Like it is just top notch filmmaking. And again, whether you like the content or not, you have to say that is good production. And that's why they're going to get some nominations for sure. Oh, I agree with you. It's probably one of the most well-funded. <laughs> this is the most agreeable there. show ever. I know. Well, you know, I'm trying to be nice, but it is probably one of the most well-funded, if not the most well-funded show out there, maybe save for the walking dead or something like that. But yeah, there are very few shows that get that kind of bump up with the production with, with everything as far as it's almost like being in a, in a movie each and every time with the kind of cast, the kind of expense that they're going through and, it all depends on the ratings, man. As long as the ratings keep going for it, that are even anywhere close to the ballpark of Game of Thrones, hey, you got you got to stick with it. You got to stick with it. Speaking of HBO, their chief Casey Bloys has come up with a big statement since they gave some earnings reports and and kind of a preview of what's going on. They said no one is asking us to sacrifice quality for volume, which is the discussion we had on a, on a recent show. He basically reiterated that it's now just easier to spend at HBO to do more things instead of preparing for a takeover or being to be acquired by another company. You got to remember AT&T and Warner Brothers had been sitting in merger world for a couple of years wondering when things were going to switch and what that was going to do and how that trickle down effect was going to happen. That's happened now. You don't have to worry about the, the watchdogs keeping an eye on you and looking over your shoulder every 10 seconds. Now, I don't know what that does for accountability, but it also makes it easier to spend money and take those risks on something that might not be a hit because it's not going to dilute the company value if you were to 
start a new show. If you were to green light Deadwood and it fails, that's going to tank the net value of the company ever, ever so much. So it's easier for them to spend money. That doesn't mean they're going to do more volume for quality and compete with Netflix. So that was interesting that that comes back based on our, uh, our talk that we had wondering where it was going and related to it, I guess four to five Game of Thrones spinoffs that we talked about have been axed as a result of this. So clearly they aren't uh, looking for volume for known brands. They just did not go well. So obviously that prequel one is probably still the front runner that set a thousand years before the events of the current series. And that's pretty cool. It's just crazy, man. Five different ones that are out there. And and if, if I was at and I'd say, you know what? Hold the phone there, so to speak pun intended so but i'm glad that they're still sticking with just one and we'll go from there if there's a need for it they can always bring the other ones on later Mm, nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious wheelie q rubs seasonings and gluten-free barbecue sauce Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. Pop Culture Cosmos listeners, Act now and get 15% off your order just by entering the promo code POD1, that's P-O-D, and the number one at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. Speaking of TV coming back like Deadwood, we mentioned, of course, the the series reboots. we got Murphy Brown is coming back, Will and Grace, Roseanne came back, and the Connors now. There is talk about a Frasier reboot with Kelsey Grammer. Now, Frasier is this show that it obviously ran for 11 seasons, brought in tons of Emmys. Kelsey Grammer played the character of Frasier Crane between Frasier and Cheers longer than any other character has been played in television history. And now Kelsey Grammer is listening to pitches on how to reboot the character, whether it picks up in Chicago, where he left Seattle at the end of the show run to go live with his girlfriend and then follow her life, or whether it's going to stay in Seattle or maybe back to Boston or whatever it is. What are your thoughts on a Frasier reboot? I'm not enthralled by it, man. It, it just, yeah, he, like you said, it's been a character that's been played out for so many years. He's garnered so much acclaim for it, and rightly so, and deservedly so. But at this point, does everything have to come back again and be a, be a reboot of something? And just let's get some more original ideas out there. It was a big hit for NBC. It was part of their Thursday night lineup. Yeah, so I guess by default, it, was, it did garner a lot of viewers, but... Uh, I don't know, man. I I don't know. As far as I'm a I'm a big fan of the show. I liked it when it when it was on. I didn't get to check every episode at that point, but when it came to Netflix as a full on series, I I watched the whole show, like the entire every single episode, probably two or three times. So I'm a I'm a big fan of the writing. I think it's incredibly clever. I don't think it's humor for everybody. I don't think it's everybody's cup of tea, but I I think it's an excellently written show. And I think they did a lot of character work. I think it's going to be really challenging to deliver that quality of material again and improve upon the character arcs that they had established over that 11 year run. So I'm wary about that, but I'd love to check out another season of of Frasier. I think that would be great, but the streak is over. We finally disagreed on this episode. 
Well, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Frasier. I found some shows interesting. I will give you props on the fact that it does do a lot with character progression as far as the there was the relationship there. Well, well, will they or won't they get together? That finally worked out in the end. But yeah, it just at this point in time, I think the character has had a lot of time under the sun when it comes to TV. Maybe it's time to put that thing to bed. But then again, like I said, all it takes is one great idea. And you know what? People could be loving Frasier once again. Cord cutting is accelerating. That's all the headlines have read for the last week and a half or so. We've talked about this over and over. It's not that I had an epiphany or anything, but I thought, you know, is it really accelerating? I think it's really just a switch because we're still dependent upon that pipeline into our house. They're saying 35 million people will not have cable within the next seven years, which doesn't sound like a, a huge number to me, but maybe, you know, 5 million per year times $100 for a cable package. You know, it's $500 million that, that's gone per year. I just think it's switching because most of the cable companies are in the broadband delivery service anyways. So they're still going to make their monthly internet allowance. They just might not get their cable icing cake. I, I just don't think the discussion is as important as we're constantly led to believe. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's going to be six for six, man. So yes, I agree with you on that as well. well six just, out of seven, because we disagreed on Frazier. Okay, well, six out of seven. Not bad. It's a good percentage, my friend, because I agree with what you're having to say and and how that's being delivered. And uh, at this point, well, what, do you, what are your suggestions on making changes, if any? I mean, if uh, the cable companies are upset about losing customers, they've got to get in the uh, the streaming game. They've got to find a way to, to be a part of that and be relevant. I think they've missed the boat because of Amazon Prime, Apple, Netflix, Disney, CBS, already offering so many ways to kind of go around a Comcast, go around a Verizon, go around AT&T in that way. So if they're going to get in the game like Comcast and AT&T does, they've got to go up one level. They can't just be a distributor. They've got to be a content creator and acquire some of these studios. I would look at Verizon as, as a chief example and look at Apple too, who are trying to come in and basically create the content and control that distribution outlet. So I think that's the way to, to negate some of what's going on, but we're still going to have that storm of options coming at consumers that is only going to continue to get cloudy and murky to navigate while people try to find what to watch, uh, knowing that there's so many good options out there. So I think it's less about cord cutting and why we should care about that and, and more about option sorting and how to stay relevant within the glut of content that we're getting. People's interests change, people's financials change, and yeah, getting down to the gist of it on why all these changes are being made and the cord is cutting at so many different places. It definitely is very interesting to delve into the aspect on why tastes are changing from one format to another. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. Comic-Con had a lot of great things to showcase, and we've all been privy to the fame that Pokemon Go started a couple years ago and jurassic world live i think is, is what it's called where you can actually hunt down dinosaurs in the wild 
But there was a new game that came out and debuted at Comic-Con that seemed really interesting, and that's Ghostbusters World AR. I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at what this is, but essentially you go around with your phone and you catch ghosts in places, and there's a few little twists that this game does to make it a little bit more interactive, and there's some risk involved. First, you've actually got to scan the area with your PKE meter. So you can't just drive around or walk around hoping to find a ghost. You actually have to scan the area with your PKE meter to see if there's anything there. And I'm sure that's one of the gates. You could probably only do so many scans per day until you get it recharged. And there are dimensional gateways to help charge your proton packs that you have to use to catch the ghost. The other thing is that ghosts can actually hurt you. So when you go to catch a ghost, you have a chance of them actually doing damage to you and decreasing health. And you may have to not fight that ghost or you might not be high enough level in order to capture it. So you've got to be really wary about what you choose to encounter. And I think that's part of the barrier with the PKE meter scan. So you don't just come across like a level 99 ghost and it just decimates you and you've got to kind of start all over again. And I thought these twists on the genre were, were really interesting. And I think Ghostbusters is a great IP to take on something like the AR phenomenon. But what else do you think would be really good for this format? That's a good... What, what other IPs out there could really make use of, of AR in the way that Pokemon Go is so naturally tied to it? Ghostbusters is, again, an excellent idea because there could be ghosts anywhere. Jurassic Park, a little bit of a stretch in my opinion, but eh, who knows? Well, I, I'm surprised I haven't seen a Minions type deal as far as anything really because just because of the cute nature of the minions as far as find the minions but that would be more like a passive ad adventure as opposed to what you were talking about with ghostbusters where it was really more interactive than just go ahead and catch and move on like what you, you're going to do most of the time in pokemon go anyways until you get ready for the battles and whatnot so i uh I kind of like that idea with Ghostbusters. That would probably be something that I want to think about as far as what type of similar type of IPs that could work on that level where there's not only just a passive adventure, but a challenging one that's interactive that invites you and gives you real, I don't say real world consequences, but gives you real in-game consequences if you don't do everything as planned. Yeah, I thought it was a really nice uh, step up from sort of like, here's a freebie if you just walk to it you get it you have to really strategize about how you're going to take it on and the other thing about the ghostbusters world ar game is it not only takes into account the original ghostbusters ip but also the real ghostbusters cartoon ghostbusters extreme cartoon and of course the reboot ghostbusters that came out i think it's now being called ghostbusters answer the call i think it does have that although it did appear the week we're taping this on fx television as far as the broadcast network here in the states and it was just listed as Ghostbusters. Yeah, if you look at the posters, and I think on Netflix here in Canada, it's Ghostbusters Answer the Call, and that's how it's being referred to as in, in other media as well. So that's interesting that that distinction is coming out. And of course, there's still a plan, Ghostbusters animated movie or series in the works, which I think could be really great. Because Ghostbusters, much like Batman and much like Scooby-Doo, have a lot of great crossovers that have happened in their history. So who knows what the animation side of things can do on that but i think it'd be really interesting to see if we can come up with another great ip for the ar format that could top ghostbusters or pokemon because those two are so genuinely intrinsically connected to the kind of thing that really supports that genre i, I think it's great now i think that was probably the one of the best ideas and best uses and best ways for something that's been around for a little while now in fact 
I remember it at the uh, onset of the PlayStation Vita where it had its own AR type game, but this actually is probably the best use for it overall. Last thing I want to touch upon is something that everybody's talking about as well, and I know you guys have touched on it too, is the James Gunn firing. On The Hollywood Reporter, we saw a big article as soon as it happened. Somebody discovered tweets from 10 years ago where James Gunn was being insensitive and saying things where at the time he thought he was being shocking and leading and provocative. Disney fired him from Guardians of the Galaxy 3, presumably anything else that's going on, which is a huge loss to, I think, the, the MCU, regardless of what you think of the tweets and all that, because Guardians of the Galaxy was becoming that front-runner franchise, and it seemed that he was poised to be part of all the future plans of Marvel as a result of that. What do you think about his firing, and what kind of world are we living in now where somebody can dig up something from the past 10 years ago and use it to change the way things are going now is is there a fine line have we crossed that line and being respectful to the comments that are made that which were sensitive was it fair for james gunn to be fired a lot of stars have come out and spoke on his behalf which we haven't seen in any of these other cases is it a case-by-case scenario one article i read said that you know his firing is the cement mortar on trump administration reaction to everything where it's a zero tolerance policy what are what are your thoughts on this? And it's different from the Roseanne Barr issue when it concerns the fact that she said this thing. She said recently. it now yeah. versus 10 years ago. But Disney's looking at it as this person said these things. It doesn't matter when. And it's, that's a shame because he is such a talented director. And you're right. He was going to be a big part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. Unless he, that petition works and he's able to come be brought back. But I think it looks very doubtful at this point. And what does Disney do, right? Like this guy made these comments that they're not happy with, that isn't in line with their moral code. They don't fire him. They send a massive message for the next time somebody does say something. And then they have to explain their actions. And that's between a rock and a hard place, man, because I was set up with Josh initially as it happened. I was hoping they would look for some other alternative like what major league baseball has done with a all-star pitcher from the milwaukee brewers that said many horrible things on his twitter many years ago like james gunn and instead of just going ahead and suspending or cut letting him go or ruining his baseball career they decided to go ahead and say look what you did was wrong what you did was not good but since you did it so many long in the past and that going forward, you seem like you're on a better path. We're going to go ahead and help you on that better path by providing you some counseling, some classes, some, some ways of training for yourself for the future that you won't go back into those old bad habits. I would have hoped that Disney would have thought that out and maybe thought better of it, but they're in a much higher profile than. But I mean, really- like. John Lasseter was accused of doing stuff right away and they held on to him forever and he's still going to be around until November until he officially steps down. It could be the same scenario, but it just kind of got a different outcome, which is not almost hypocritical when you look at it from that stance. So it's just disappointing that James Gunn was was like, oh, I would have maybe sought out something a little bit different and maybe some type of disciplinary action, but I would not have fired him for something said so many years ago if he was truly remorseful. And you could see that he was on a better path today because these films have, in his own words, you know, from what we can believe and understand that these films that he's created with Marvel and Guardians of the Galaxy Volumes 1 and 2 have helped shape him to be a better individual overall. 
Yeah, and people change, right? I mean, that's a whole correctional facility kind of approach to things. You know, you do something wrong, you break the law, you go to jail, but it's a second chance society as well. You get a second chance to come out, but you have that rehabilitation process. And right now we're living in a zero tolerance society where if you say something, it doesn't matter how, how old you are, when you say it, if you say it and there's a record of it, it's going to haunt you forever. I mean, maybe it's the price of freedom, the freedom of speech to say whatever you want. You can say it, but it might cost you things. And I just think that it's not about what J James Gunn said, when he said it, or how he said it. It's This is the catalyst for a bigger discussion on how we handle things going forward and the role of social media, our personal social media as it affects business and what those business companies want to do. I mean, I've dialed way back on Facebook since I've been the victim of cyberbullying and, and, and threats and stuff and stuff that's going on in my personal life. I've completely dialed my access back on, on Facebook, as you know, and I, and I just won't be a part of it because I know if it continues to go that way, something bad can only happen. So it's easier for me to walk away and not be part of that conflict. I'm not saying we have to give up social media. I'm not saying you should have to protect what you say, but it's obviously going to upset other people and then you know 30 years if we decide that jock athletes aren't cool and it's offensive to support them because a study says that you know athletic people with big muscles are the downfall of society and anybody that likes the rock today or promotes his films if, if those tweets come back to haunt them in 20 or 30 years when this new study comes out i think that's ridiculous I just think it's ridiculous that it's an all or nothing way. And I do think that is a little bit have to do with the current political situation and the climate of the world, not just the States, not just with Trump everywhere. It's like, there is no gray area. There is no time for discussion and exploration about what goes on. It is swift justice. And I don't think that's the way to always operate. And I think you're going to end up shooting yourself in the foot when you make quick decisions like that, quick decisions to tweet, quick decisions to fire. We're on seven for eight, my friend, because I agree with you on every sentiment as well. It just, it doesn't seem like people are getting a second chance when they deserve it. And you're right. We live in this society in 2018 where, you know what, for something that said so long ago or done so long ago that it's being brought up, it's being brought back and it's being used against them. And there's no chance for that person to go ahead and grow as an individual because of everything thrown in their face from so long ago. Yeah, it'll be interesting because, uh, I don't know, it, it just makes me want to get away from social media even more and, and not be involved in any of these big conglomerate corporation deals. And it, it just sickens my stomach that somebody's going to be judged by a stupid thing that they did, yet we'll give somebody who served time for a life sentence a chance to walk amongst the free again. And maybe we shouldn't, I'm not to say, but that's the world we live in. So why shouldn't that trickle down to everything else? If this is what we've established, rehabilitation stuff like you're talking about with the Brewers pitcher, where the team wanted to step up and support them, why can't we do the same on these cases here? So it just seems like a missed opportunity to go zero tolerance on everything doesn't seem just with the world that we live in or the world that we want to live in, more importantly. Yeah, exactly. It's still controversies to come up because as long as Twitter and social media, Instagram, Facebook, what have you, are still structured the way they are, then these type of things are going to be happening because people just go ahead and blur out the first thing they think of and they don't really think about what they're going to be able to say and who they're communicating to when they go ahead and hit that publish button or hit that send button. Well, there was a lot of topics to cover, and that'll do it for another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. And I hear that we're uh, 
also in the Century Club for the PCC, which is really nice. And that's what I wanted to say at the end. It's just been a great run, my friend. And I cannot thank you enough and Rob McCallum Films enough for everything that you've done for the Pop Culture Cosmos. Pop Culture Cosmos, 100 episodes. Seems like a, a lifetime away since you and I sat in that coffee shop. I was going to say, who would have thought that that one meeting, the only meeting we ever had about it at that Starbucks in, in Vegas in Summerlin, led to 100 episodes of, of content plus, I don't know, 30-some-odd episodes of Cosmic Crossfire. Exactly. Although it wasn't a Starbucks. I'm going to have to disagree with you. It's a Starbucks-like place. Oh, was it Coffee Bean? It was Coffee Bean? Okay. I'm pretty sure it's Coffee Bean. But either way. But either way. It was upper-class, bougie-bougie coffee places where there's too much froth and foam and whatever. Um, I do want to give a shout-out to uh, John Schnepp and his family. John Schnepp recently passed away from complications due to a stroke. He was the director of a documentary called the death of Superman lives. What happened is a pop culture documentary that looked at the Nicolas Cage Superman that was supposed to come out with Tim Burton directing and Kevin Smith writing. I interviewed John when he was making the promotional rounds for his doc on the trenches. He didn't know me from anybody. I reached out to him. We got to talking and it was one of the better episodes. I thought I was actually pretty excited to talk to him and I was really unfortunate to hear of his passing recently so best to his family and check out the episode of me interviewing john schnepp on the trenches when you can and you know what we'll go ahead and pop it on the rotation as far as the pcc is concerned and play it on that channel as well so so maybe people can get a little bit better insight into his mind as he saw things and, and hopefully get a chance to check out all of this great stuff that he's actually thrown out there as well If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Taz Show Podcast. And this is so cool. A London-based film company has released a trailer for their documentary about He-Man. Here's the man, here's the hero, here's the template. When they took the figures out, these kids just went bats. They just went crazy. Everyone thought, this is ridiculous. It's never going to be a hit. Between 82 and 87, He-Man represented roughly 95% of all the growth in the toy division. And suddenly, He-Man became, you know, this billion-dollar empire. So we were frantically designing vehicles and accessories for He-Man. Rob McCallum of Pyre Productions joins us on the phone here. Rob, thank you so much, man. 
Yeah, I love coming on uh, the show with you guys and talking everything. Thanks for indulging uh, my movie habit. Yeah, yeah. You are doing some incredible work, man. You're so busy. Uh, you've done so many documentaries so far, uh, you know, including Nintendo Quest, uh, a documentary about London's own uh, metal uh, all-female band Kitty. And I just saw this pop up on my Facebook and had to talk to you about it because I knew this film was coming up. You teased it during the Nintendo Quest premiere. But the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Power of Gray Skull documentary uh, is coming out soon, and uh, it's your it's your baby, Rob. It is. We all have that one toy or cartoon that we were first obsessed with when we were a young youth, and uh, because you know, when you're a filmmaker, you make films on the things that you know best. I finally had the opportunity to to tackle He Man. I had already kind of crossed Nintendo off the list, and then Heavy Metal, as you said, with the Kitty documentary. So this was the uh, the toy that really shaped me. Do people underestimate or forget how big of a phenomenon uh, He-Man was? I think in uh, when you compare it to other brands like Transformers and Ninja Turtles, probably, because those two entities are still going on, right? There's still movies that are coming out every couple of years. There's still cartoon shows. There's still fresh toys on the shelves. But He-Man was really only big in the 80s. I mean, it was a billion-dollar industry. It kind of saved the company when Barbie was actually losing money. And when the Intellivision was tanking Mattel, it was He-Man that kept Mattel afloat, which is, of course, a giant toy company. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't really done anything since, despite having a couple of reboots. Is it because people are mad at the patriarchy and He-Man is such a masculine <laughs> entity? Or what, what do you think? The, why do you think the popularity dwindled? I don't think that they really knew what they had on their hands and what works because it's this really weird blend of everything that's great about Star Wars, this fantasy kind of sci-fi stuff, but it's also a little bit of Lord of the Rings because it's set on Eternia and there's like creatures and dragons and barbarian and stuff that you would see in Conan. So when you have those two elements, which are very different, it's hard to understand why they work the way that they do to create success. Now, it's funny you mentioned the, the patriarchy. He-Man's sister is She-Ra, which was a spin-off show, as I'm sure you know, and yep. that's getting a reboot on Netflix. So it's interesting that the sub-brand, the spin-off brand, is coming back, but not the main brand. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just the way that the uh, the world's going a little bit. They're, they're really pushing for, for more female leads, which is awesome, but I, I'm just surprised there hasn't been a live-action He-Man movie uh, you know, coming out. Well, it's slated to come out, apparently... Apparently in 2020, I believe oh. the rights have been up in the air, and I and I believe, and I might be talking out of turn that the lights, uh, the rights will lapse if they do not get it out in time. So you know the studios are going to push to kind of make use of that IP, something familiar for everybody. Yeah. But again, this is like producing Star Wars and Lord of the Rings for a brand that really hasn't had a lot of spotlight in you know 20, 30 years. Power of Grayskull, definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of Universe from Pyre Productions. Rob McCallum, thank you for putting London on the map when it comes to documentary nerd movies. Well, thanks for reaching out, and a big shout-out to my colleagues, which I couldn't have done this film without Randall Lobb, Mark Hussey, and Isaac Elliott Fisher, who did the definitive history of the Ninja Turtles, which is what spawned this big team up for He-Man. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, man. The Taz Show Podcast. Cool. Well, we'll talk to you soon, and hope everybody's enjoyed the 100 episodes of BCC and all the episodes of Cosmic Crossfire. That's right, but you can always get a hold of us at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also, as well, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, Twitter. Well, Rob McZob on Twitter, actually, and also Pop Culture Cosmos on Twitter as well. Rob, it's it's getting all choked up, man. Or either that or still the morning. But choked up, man, because 100 episodes just truly cannot thank you enough for everything that you've done for Pop Culture Cosmos so much.
Rob, it's just great to have you a part of the show, part of the program, part of the Cosmic Crossfire, and of course, right here, a part of the pop culture cosmos. Pop culture cosmos. (laughs) 